Good morning, everybody. It's Kathleen Dillahunt. It's Wednesday morning. It's Let's Chat. And this morning, the topic of my teaching is we cannot change the head until we've changed the heart. Let's pray and we just trust God for His presence and for His glory and for His incredible revelation today. And I just pray for every single one of you watching that you will just clearly hear the word of God. Father, I commit this meeting to you. I thank you for this time that we can just share together on the airwaves. I thank you that you are present. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are brooding. I thank you for the presence of God over every single person watching now, much later and in time to come. I want to thank you for the revelation of your heartbeat that you're wanting us to, to catch so that we can move forward in this next era in our country. And in every country, this next era, Lord, we're in a new era. The church has shifted. The atmosphere has shifted. The heavens have shifted. The angelic realm has shifted. And we've got to come into gear with what heaven is saying in this time. And so I thank you for such an anointing on my word today. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. You cannot change the head until you change the heart you know friends as we've had events happening in our country recently <clears throat> and we've seen so much happening politically and we've seen the leadership happening all over the world that leaves much to be desired i hear people grumbling and i hear people complaining and i hear people moaning and i hear people judging and i hear people bringing absolute condemnation onto those that are leading the countries when the bible says you've got to pray for your leaders and friends, so I just want to talk today about the fact that you will never change the head if you haven't changed the heart. You know, the reason that there is lack of governance in countries is because of a poor moral character, resulting in poor leadership. Moral character is within an individual. It's self-control, it's integrity, it's responsibility, it's a respect for self and for others. It is honor. It is giving honor where honor is due. It is the respect of property and animal life. Always thinking and looking out for what is best for everybody and not what's best for you. That is moral character. And moral character is only present where there is an almighty, holy God. The atmosphere that establishes moral character is the holiness of Abba Father in heaven. And where he is, where his spirit is brooding, that's where moral character can be established. And we know what that is. Galatians 5.22 talks so clearly. It's birthed out of love and out of love comes kindness, goodness, mercy, self-control and everything else that is birthed from the very heart and the character of God. And we've got to understand it is only holiness that can establish moral character. Now, what is the yardstick? It is the yardstick of what our heart is and what our understanding is and how morally we have brought, been brought into this world that we will measure justice. You see, justice to a moral heart is very different from justice to a heart that is, that is not moral. The way that we will manage our finances, when you are presented with a whole lot of money and you have a heart that beats in morality, and in the holy understanding of God, you will have integrity, you will manage it well. But if your heart is not full with it, you will see money as a source for yourself. And we have to understand that what is in the heart will manifest through the head and we will never change heads until we change hearts. The way that power is demonstrated, you will either have somebody that's, that uses the power and their position to build and establish or to use the power and position for their own gain and for their own glory. Without God and his influence, man is totally wicked, evil, and cruel. And man reverts back to being under the control of the God of the air, the God of the, of the darkness, and that is Satan himself. And every demonic control comes into full force, and man resorts back to animalistic instincts. That means I'm a survivor and I've got to grab everything for myself. And if it feels good, do it, no matter what the consequences are. That's animalistic influence. You know, a lion doesn't think about the impala before he kills it to eat it. 
And that's what we have to understand is the, the fund, foundational heart of man. Genesis 6 verse 5 said, God saw the wickedness of man, how great it was great on the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 3 says, The hearts of people are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts whilst they live. Evil means it's malignant, it's diseased, it is cancerous, emotionally and physically. It's misery, it brings great pain, it injures, it brings grief, and it results in calamity. So friends, there's a derelict spirit, there's a diseased spirit, there's a depriving spirit, there is a, 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 a spirit that results in confusion, chaos, and neglect that is always present where the heart is evil. Evil heart and mental sickness goes together. Where you find evil, you'll find mentally ill people. We have to understand that, friends. Are you telling me that people are only mentally ill when they're under the kingdom of darkness? I'm telling you that it's the father of darkness that breaks through and establishes sickness on people, which is mental, physical, and emotional. We have to understand that. When we are in the presence of a moral God, a pure God, a, a God that is full of holiness, people have got sound minds because their emotions are sound, because their body is sound, because they live according to the kingdom of heaven, according to care and nurturing for themselves, for their temple and for others. But when they live under the kingdom of darkness, they live to bring forth pravity and, and sickness and disease through what they are living under. We have to know that mental health is all about, it's all about me, brooding, inward looking, always feeling sorry for themselves, always feeling like the victim, my rights, I deserve it. That's the mentality which ends up with people imploding friends and not being able to con uh, cope with the tormenting spirits, with the demons that are operating and with the inward looking abscess they've allowed to form in their own hearts. And then, friends, what does true leadership look like? Well, true leadership comes from the Father heart of God. When God created man, he created man in his image and likeness. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit became the head of the home, the heart of the home, and the hope for the next generation. The Holy Spirit is the hope for the next generation. It's been sent into all the world. The Holy Spirit is sent into all the world to reach the lost and to, to be there, to empower, to comfort and to encourage those that are saved. And friends, that's exactly the picture that God created in his image when he created family. Now, when you take family out the picture, you take a away the very nucleus of the living cell called, called society and community. And when we've done that, what comes into that place is total corruption. Now, where there's true leadership, friends, you will see the equipping will always be for other people first. The empowering will be for others. I will empower you because I now have a position of power. It is always about establishing. It's always about building. It's always about progressing from the bad to good. And it's always out of the heart of love. But leadership without the Father heart of God is under the control of the selfish, self-centered, rejected power-hungry, glory-seeking, Prince of Peace, Satan, father of all lies, that steals to kill and to destroy, and operates under force. Friends, a leader without the heart after God is a dominator or is a forcer. He enforces people. He causes fear in people, terror in people. A leader full of the heart of God causes people to feel safe. They will revere him. They will respect him. They will even be a little nervous of him, but they will feel safe. They will feel secure and they will feel loved. And when there is no leadership, friends, a garden left unattended will always turn to wild. A house that is not lived in will always become derelict. And an, a domestic animal that is not cared for is a very dangerous thing. So what am I saying to you? I'm saying, what is the condition of the heads? 
Do not look at the heads of everything and saying, well, we've just got to change heads and everything will change. No, friends, nothing will change. Because while you keep replacing one evil-hearted head with another evil-hearted head, I want to tell you now, it will just get worse and worse and worse. Because when you add derelict and corruption to what's already derelict and corruption, what is the end result? A society that eventually someone would say there was once a society here called, but they're gone because they cannot build, they can only destroy. But when we look at Jesus, friends, we see a very, very, very different picture. You know, when Jesus came, they expected him to come and to rise up against the Roman emperor and the Roman, the Roman control and King Herod. They expected him to rise up and to be a revolutionary and to come and make a stand. And so many people followed him, expecting him to do that, friends. But he never did that. In fact, he did exactly the opposite. And I want to say to you, friends, if we want to see a different government, we have to start doing what Jesus did. The only hope against the government in every country that is operating under the forces of darkness and evil and we cannot be surprised of how evil evil is because evil is evil is evil is evil the only force that can stand against that friends is the bride of christ that's the only force a people full of the the heartbeat and the love and the moral standard of a holy god that rise up and say, we are here to be Jesus in this situation. We are here to represent him to the fullness. And as Jesus went into a corrupt, evil, dominating, self-centered, terrible, murderous world and changed its heartbeat, friends, so are we called to do that. Do you not dare say one word against the head if you are not aggressively working? forcefully working to change hearts within young people and people everywhere that is your responsibility and if you're not doing that you have no right to say anything because it's your fault then that that area that you live in is under the control of evil because you've not been the light that you were created to be in that dark place let's look at jesus he was not a revolutionary and I want to say this to every single person, especially those that have got a heart to fight for justice. They want to rise up in the same spirit. They want to come against evil with evil. They want to be a revolutionary against the other revolutionary. But Jesus said, no, this is not the way you change a community and, and a people and a, and a destiny. This is not the way you do it. You know, it said in John 18 verse 40, at that time they shouted out again, this is... Um, not this fellow, but Barabbas. We don't want Jesus. He didn't come to change the community. We don't want him. Kill, Bar uh, kill him. Set Barabbas free. And they went on to say, now Barabbas was a revolutionary. And so friends, even after Jesus had been there for three and a half years ministering, and he had demonstrated it, and he had spoken it, and he had established it, at the end of that, they still didn't get it. And you know what, friends, I feel that after 2,000 years as a church, maybe we still haven't got it. We still cry, save the Barabbas, save the Barabbas, save the Barabbas. We want a revolutionary. When Jesus says, I haven't come to do that. I've come to seek and to save the lost. Because, friends, if you are this kingdom minded, then you will fight like this kingdom of darkness. For your rights in this kingdom of darkness but if you are kingdom of heaven minded you will usher in the fullness of light so that the darkness has to be dispersed he disappointed the people so much that ultimately when they were brought before herod even his followers could not stand for truth and righteousness and do what he called them to do but jesus just ignored their heads and he changed the heart. You see, he did not rise up against the, the rulers of the land, the political spirits, when he was confronted by them. We see that, um, um, we see that, I'm so sorry, I'm just going to go back, I've run ahead of myself. Jesus did not rise up the way that they did. He was not flesh on flesh. We see in Luke 9 verse 54 to 56, 
The disciples are still wanting him to be and to behave like a revolutionist. Lord, do you not want us to call fire down from heaven and to destroy them? Because the people had rejected the teachings of Jesus. But Jesus turned and he rebuked them. And he said, you know not what manner of spirit you are of. Friends, if you are fighting like a revolutionist, cursing and rejecting and, and, and bringing down your, your um, trauma and your opinion and your um, disappointment on people, what spirit are you operating under? For the Son of Man did not come to destroy man's lives, but to save them. We have to understand. So how did Jesus do that, friends? Now, he ignored the, 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 the political spirits. He didn't even bow to them or in any way come into agreement with them. But wherever he was, he changed the environment. So I want to look at one example, and that's from Mark 5, verse 19. And this is where he comes, and he comes face to face with a demonized man, the man that was full of legions. Now, Jesus crosses over. He comes face to face with this man. The whole region knows about how evil he is, how terrible he is. They're all scared of him. Jesus came because he was the fullness of the powers that were operating over the area. He had somehow opened himself up to absorb the fullness of those powers. Many people do that in direct worship of Satan or Wicca where they want the power of what's there and they will deliberately allow themselves to become demonized like that. So what did Jesus do? Well, he cast out the demons. The demon said, can we go into the pigs? They went into the pigs. Instantly, the man came to his right mind. In the presence of God, you come to your right mind, friends. And he was completely healed. And the pigs went, the, the demons went into the pigs. And then we know what happened. The pigs went mad. And then the pigs jumped off and they killed themselves. But friends, what happened to the demons? They didn't die. They went back into the community where they had the authority to be. And they, they, the people once again came under that influence. And how do I know that? Because instantly the people said, Jesus, get out of here. Before that, it was a demonized man that said, get out of here. But when the demons had left him, they went into the people and the people kicked him out. Kicked, kicked him out. Why? Because they were under the influence of the darkness that was controlling their community friends. And the, and the man that had been demonized, who was now completely sober and completely healed, said to Jesus, can I come with you? You can... <coughs> <coughs> Sorry. You can read about it in Mark 5, verse 19. Jesus said to him, go home, go back. You see, what does Jesus do, friends? He fills somebody up with light. And then he says, now you go and be the light there. And you go and tell your family and friends what has just happened to you. <coughs> and of course, a lot of them will reject him. But friends, light, like you light a match, and it, it, can, it can light many things. Light ignites other lights. And he went into that community, friends. And he transformed the heart of the community, one on one, one at a time, until that whole area, and it was called Deco, 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 um, I get stuck on these words, especially when I'm preaching fast, Decapolis, which means 10 cities. It was 10 cities that were changed because one man was full of light. He had to go back into darkness and usher in the light. One person one heart at a time and 10 cities were changed because of their friends that's how jesus works he ignores the heads and he comes in and he changes the hearts by allowing them to encounter him and to be filled with his holy spirit and then inside the person changes and they become infectious and they start changing everybody around them. The next example I want to show you, and you can read about this in John 4, verse 7 to 28. And this is a Samaritan woman. So here we see this woman at the well. She's had five husbands and the one she's living with is not her husband. She is a woman that is full of guilt, full of lust, full of brokenness. 
And then she comes to the well. She meets Jesus. Jesus prophesies over her one prophetic word. You know how many people's lives have been changed, friends, by a true prophetic word. There are a lot of words that come out of people's opinion. Where they bring a word, but half of it's opinion and half of that might be the Holy Spirit. But what about a word that comes straight from the heart of God, friends? How do you know when you've had a word from the heart of God? People's lives change. I had an incredible testimony this week of a lady that came up to me and she said, A few years ago, you asked me if we had any children. And I said, No, I couldn't. And I said to her, through the Holy Spirit, it wasn't Kathy, it was the Holy Spirit. I said to her that God is releasing you. You will no longer have a condition to stop you from having children. God is breaking that curse off your life. And I've just prophesied over them. She went back to the doctor this year. And friend, she went to the doctor and he said, there's no evidence of what you've suffered from. There's no evidence of what you've been diagnosed with previously one prophetic word that comes from the heart of God changes the direction of people's lives friends and I want to say to you it's time that we started revere, revering the prophetic again and it's time that we took seriously that which is the sacred words of God and it's time and I want to say to you just because we can all prophesy doesn't mean we all have the right to come and say this is a word from God when actually you haven't been in the presence of God to hear the word of God you've actually just come with the extension of your own opinion and I want to say that I've had many people give me prophetic words and I look at them and I don't say a word and I think lady when you walk away from here I'm removing this off my body off my life and I'm breaking the power of your words because it's come straight out of a soulish prayer I will not receive one word and I want to say friends it's time that we truly started making sacred again the prophetic and being very careful that when we speak we have heard the heart of God I have heard even seasoned Season prophets that bring opinion into a word. And how do you know it's an opinion? It doesn't come into agreement with the word of God. Instead of bringing the heart, the pure heart of God through what you are saying, we have to be cautious, friends. I wasn't teaching on that today. But it took one prophetic word, one, to change the heart of a woman. She ran back into her community and it says in John 4 verse 7 to 8 and you can read the whole thing. But it says she went back into the community and many people believed in what they, she had told them. Many people. Why? Because the, because the light is infectious. And they caught a light from her light. But then friends, they went and they met with Jesus. And this is the next thing. We don't just evangelize people. We allow them to meet him personally. And then they came back to her and they said, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. Now we have heard it for ourselves. He really is the Messiah. Friends, her prophetic word broke open her heart, her life, her direction, her purpose. She had encountered Jesus. She went back. She ignited other lights. They came and got themselves a light. And friends, the whole community was changed because of one woman. One man that had once been demonized. One woman that had once been immoral. Two communities completely different. When Jesus left, he sent the twelve. And then friends, he said to, uh, to the people that were following him, his disciples, and there were thousands, do not leave Jerusalem until the Spirit comes on you. Do not leave until you've received power. And friends, it always breaks my heart out of thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. Only 120 could be found in the upper room. Only 120. Now, when we look at the disciples and then the 120 were scattered into all the nations. Now, when we look at the disciples, we see that Peter, Andrew and Matthew and Barnabas preached in the region of the Black Sea. They preached in Romania, they preached in Bulgaria, they went through to northern Turkey and on to Georgia, and Andrew also ministered in Russia, Greece, and Turkey. Suddenly, those communities were set aflame. Thomas and Thaddeus and Simeon, the Canaanite, they worshipped in what's today called, they preached and ministered and brought light into what's today called Iran. 
And you know what, friends? Iran is under such persecution, and yet the, the church in Iran is on fire. Underground, suppressed, but fire. Friends, who ignited that? The early disciples. And then we see John and Philip. They went to Asia Minor, which is part of Turkey today. Thomas was martyred in India. He went as far as India, and he set India aflame. Peter was crucified upside down in Rome, so he went into Italy. Matthew um, went to Iran, to Ethiopia, and was martyred in Africa. He brought the word of God to Africa. James was the first one to die by the sword in Jerusalem. His blood, the blood of him, martyred, cried out. I want to tell you, friends, we have to understand blood cries out. It's either blood that's been murdered, blood that cries out for demons, or the blood of those that have given their life that cries out for salvations and more people being saved. Because when you've shed your life, no greater love has any man but to lay down his life for a friend. That <coughs> Sorry. That blood cries out, friends. And then we see John, he's the only disciple that lived to full old age, even after being burnt in oil and, and put into exile on Patmos. He still lived to about 105 and died of old age. Paul was beheaded in Rome. Andrew was martyred in Greece. Philip went to northern Africa and was killed there by the Romans. And Bartholomew went to India, Armenia, Ethiopia, southern um, the southern Arabic areas and established the kingdom of God and then was killed. I'm not sure where he was killed. Friends, it is vital that we understand we cannot judge what's in the headship if we have not gone in to change the hearts. You know, I remember about 20 years ago, maybe 25 years ago, I was praying one day and I got absolutely overwhelmed at the amount of children that have been left orphans because of AIDS and tuberculosis in South Africa that now no longer had any adult supervision and they had children raising children and an old granny raising all the children in the area and my heart cried for that and I got up and I preached one day and I said friends if we do not do something today about the children that are orphaned in 20 years time we're going to have a generation of young adults that live as orphans that are survivors, that live off the streets, that have no education, no moral understanding, that will live by what they can steal, what they can take, and by what they can find. And friends, very few people, very few, and there were some amazing, amazing, amazing Christian ministries and NGOs that went into the areas to help. But the majority of those children, friends, are the young adults today. And when we see young adults gathering and marching and shouting, why are they shouting? Because they've never seen another adult human being fight for them, friends. And I want to say this to you today. It's time that we rose up as the body of Christ and stop feeling sorry for ourselves and stop building our little kingdoms and stop being overwhelmed by every single mountain and every single wave and every single thing that happens and start taking our rightful place. You were created to be a light in the very darkest of dark places, friends. Can you imagine what it was like for the first missionaries when they went to Burma, when they went to China, when they went to India? They went into an area that had never, ever, ever understood anything of a holy God and the morality of a holy God. They went into the fullness of what it looks like to live human beings under the Prince of Darkness. And friends, we're reverting back to that today. And I want to ask you this. Why do you think we're reverting back when the light has been so bright? Well, maybe we haven't done what we were commissioned to do. Maybe we've had lovely places where we've worshipped, where we've celebrated, where we've been stroked, where we've not had a strong gospel because a strong gospel will cause people to leave. Friends, we were created to hear the truth. We were not created to be spoon-fed with things that stroke us and, 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 and words that tell us we will be popular and we will be rich if we just do these things. We were created to hear the truth. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And the truth is you were saved for such a time like this. You were put in your homes for such a time as this. 
You were put in the countries you live in for such a time as this. It's not about protecting your little nucleus. It's about going out there and bringing the heart of God into the communities, into the individuals, and so that you can change the nations and change the leadership. When I look at the condition of our country, and I'm sure I can say that about almost every country, the church has been asleep for too long. But fortunately, there are people that have said, wake up, there are things to be done. The Bible tells us if we look at the early word of God and everything about the New Testament, the Old Testament is a picture of what the New Testament is meant to look like and establish. And when we look at the Old Testament, friends, we see that in Exodus 3 verse 5, God talks about holy ground. Friends, we've got to establish holy ground. We've got to establish the physical Adama is ground and it means alive. We've got to establish holiness on the physical ground in which we've been positioned. Our own properties, our streets that we live in, the towns that have come under our, our care and our nurturing. When those people went back into the community, they changed not only their hearts, but they changed the very community. The, the ground started producing life where there was death, friends. We've got to establish holy ground. What does it mean? It means ground dedicated to a holy king. We've got to establish holy dwellings. Friends, you can never ever live free of any form of brokenness when you go to pray for your heart, but your home is full of it. If your home is full of anger, full of rage, full of pornography, full of all kinds of evil, if the greatest influence is the, is the screen that you watch that is open to anything, perversion, then friends, your dwelling is contaminated. And no matter how clean your heart is, you will go straight back into a contaminated dwelling and there will be no place that you can find rest and peace because it is not a holy dwelling. The second thing he talks about is a holy dwelling, Exodus 15, 13. And that is talking about the, the, the temple of God, which we are, and about the physical place that people find themselves living, friends. Your home should be a demonstration of the kingdom of heaven, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And if it's not, you have to ask yourself, why not? And then put things into place, friends, to make it that place of peace. The next thing he talks about is a holy people. Exodus 16 verse 23. And friends, every one of us was given the Sabbath day. What is the Sabbath day? It's a day of dedicating to God. It's a day of coming into his presence. It's a day of saying, God, please check my heart. Make sure I've got no issues, no offense, no hurt, no brokenness. I want to just cleanse myself. Clean hands and a pure heart so that I can worship you. And friends, that's why we have the Sabbath day. Now, God doesn't say, I want you religiously to keep the Sabbath day. He's saying, I want you to spend a Sabbath time. Every time you come with me, ask me to make sure and show you if there's any ought in your heart. Ask me to show you. Spend time with me. Come into my presence. Come into my rest. Every day we are meant to take go into that Sabbath, that secret place, that place of rest. And make sure that we are filled with his spirit, continuously being filled with his spirit, friends. Deal with your anger, deal with your rage, deal with your unforgiveness. I I'm telling you today clearly and absolutely, brooding leads to unforgiveness being established and unforgiveness will keep you out of heaven. God says, if you do not forgive, and what does it look like to forgive? It means to set somebody free, to release them, to deal with that which has been hurting you, and to go into the place where you are, where you are, are absolutely free of that offense and walking away from it enough to say, I can bless you. I can even see you again. I've got no ought in my heart against you. I've learned for what I've needed to learn and I have forgiven you for what you have to learn. And friends, we have to understand how important that is. Holy people. And then he said, establish a holy nation. Now I want to say this. If we are holy people living in a holy dwelling, on a holy, with a holy um, with ground, our streets are holy. Where the holy streets are, there's no crown, friends. 
When we do that, we will become a holy nation. And when we become a holy nation, friends, when we become a holy nation, nothing can stand against a holy nation. But friends, we can't even be in agreement with the same churches in our own town. <coughs> How can we ever be a holy nation? We have a responsibility. My computer's playing up a little bit, so I'm hoping that you can see me. We have a responsibility so that we can be all that he's called us to be, friends. And I just want to say to you today, I have such a burden on my heart for what I'm sharing with you that I know that we have to bring this into being into establishment if there's any hope for our country, South Africa. Now, there are many groups going out, feet on the street, praying for cities. There are many groups going out that are praying, that are established in joined hearts. I get so incredibly blessed when I see the city of Durban get together and the people praying together because they are creating a, 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 a harmony, a unity in their prayer for the city. Then out of that, friends, it's not only praying, but it's going and establishing it. It's establishing it. Love your town. Love your city. Love your street. Love the people. Care for those that have needs. That's what God's called us to do. Now, what did Jesus do when he was confronted with a political spirit? Well, the first thing I want you to see is that in, when he was confronted in Matthew 2 verse 19, Jesus, the little boy, the baby that was going to be beheaded, his father fled. And I want to tell you, friends, when you are confronted with a, with a political spirit, you have to know when to keep quiet, when to flee, and when to speak. And unfortunately, so often we want to shout our heads off and we want to be seen when it's not the time. We've got to know what to do. Now, the very first thing that happened, Herod came to kill all the children. Joseph did not stand up against him and said, you can't have my son because this is a child of God. He took him and he fled to Egypt. The second time was in Luke 9 verse 9 to 10 when Jesus in his ministry, the Bible said that Herod wanted to see him. Herod, King Herod, the king, wanted to see Jesus. Do you know what Jesus did, friends? He left town and he walked the other way. He ignored him and he went in a different direction. Knowing that the king could actually put an army out to go and fetch him. Why did he do that? Because he knew that was not what he'd been commissioned to do. He was not commissioned to argue political spirits. And then the third time, when it was time for him to be arrested, friends, Jesus was arrested because he allowed him to be, God allowed him and Jesus allowed himself to be arrested. And when he stood in front of Herod and Herod tried to antagonize him and try to throw questions at him, he said nothing, 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 nothing. Why? Because he was not there to argue a political spirit. If you argue a little uh, political spirit, you will bear the brunt of what's behind that spirit. He said nothing. And you know what, friends? Whenever there's a political force and a political spirit, they will always join together. Enemy will become friends with enemies to join together to stand against the truth of the word of God. And that's exactly what happened with Herod and Pilate. They joined together. They made one force to stand against Jesus. The next thing you need to know, they will mock you. They will ridicule you. They will criticize you. They will say all kinds of ought against you. And you may not rise up. You may not. You may not say anything. You cannot come evil overcoming evil. You've got to overcome evil with good friends. And we know that Jesus didn't do any of that. And yet a, a, a Pilate and Herod mocked Jesus. And the soldiers mocked Jesus. And he said nothing. Friends, you do not argue political spirits. You establish light and darkness has to flee. And there's nothing worse than when somebody who's establishing light is not int intimidated by somebody that is a political spirit. But what did Jesus do? He watched and he prayed. He watched all the time. He was assessing the hearts of people all the time, all the time. He spoke to their hearts. He looked at their hearts. He saw what was in his heart. He addressed hearts all the time. And friends, that's what we have to do. He was a God of hearts. And I can put that to you in the clearest of fashion. Jesus came for hearts, friends. He was not impressed by heads. He demonstrated his kingdom wherever he went. He lived life and life in abundance, whether he spoke or whether he didn't speak. 
we have to watch and pray, friends. It says in Matthew 26, verse 4. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> Matthew 26, verse 41 and Mark 14, verse 38. Watch and pray that you do not enter into temptation. Do not be tempted, friends, to retaliate, to react, but watch and pray. It says in Mark 13, verse 33, Watch and pray, for you do not know when the time will come. The closer we get to the end, friends, the greater our responsibility is to watch and pray. 1 Peter 4, verse 7 says, The end of all things are near. Therefore, be alert and sober, so that you can pray. And that word sober means self-controlled, self-mind, right mind. You know, friends, I've said this so many times before. The enemy is trying to control your mind and your soul. <clears throat> that is why there are so many drugs that have been specifically made to subdue you, to control you, and to cause you to be happy. Friends, when you are happy and you are controlled, you are not alert, you are not sober, you are not of a sound mind, and you cannot hear what the Spirit of God is saying. What is our role today? We have to know when to be quiet and we have to know when to speak. We have to fight the war and not fight the battle. What is our role today? To have our hearts so full of love that wherever you go, you ooze love. And I want to say this to you, friends, that a person whose heart is full of love is not a wimp. They're not a walkover. They know when to say, no, this is not happening. And they know when to say, yes, it's fine, let it happen. They're fighting a war, not a battle. You've got to watch and pray. And the word prayer means to worship and supplicate, to worship and make requests. Do not come under the influence, and this is my warning today, friends. Do not come under the influence of religious and political spirits. Do not come under the influence. Establish holy ground. Establish holy dwelling. Establish a holy heart and establish a holy nation that lives set apart, out from. Do not come under the influence of political spirits and religious spirits. Use every opportunity you can to usher in the kingdom of heaven wherever you are. Friends, your qualification should be the key to open a door so that you can go and establish the kingdom of heaven. We should be establishing the kingdom of heaven within the government. We should be establishing the kingdom of heaven within media. We should be establishing the kingdom of heaven within education. We should be establishing the kingdom of heaven within the sport arena. It grieves me when I see Christian sportsmen behaving more like the world than the world does. We should be establishing the kingdom of heaven in the medical field. Friends, if we do not establish the kingdom of heaven in the medical field, the medical field will be under the influence of pagans and the kingdom of darkness. We should be establishing the kingdom of heaven within the business realm. And we should be establishing the kingdom of heaven within religious organizations. Now, friends, I want to give you a few examples. Our role is that wherever we go, we are so full of kingdom that when we speak or not speak, people can see we don't come under the same influence. I have a friend, an acquaintance that I've met a few times, an amazing man, and he is in Parliament in Cape. <clears throat> and you know, on one occasion when I had time to sit with him, we, uh, we sat with him for a few hours talking uh, and just sharing the things of God, the goodness of God. He said this, he said, I am here, my, my education is a lawyer. My position is a member of Parliament. And he said, but do you know what I'm really here for and what I do all the time? I go to parliamental meetings, I present my case, I do what isn't expected of me. I know that I'm possessing land because I'm there, wherever your foot shall tread, God will give it to you. That's why he said it. But friends, I want you to know what his greatest task is. He said, I spend my time counseling, ministering, praying for every other member of parliament. He said, from all the parties that come to me, I've prayed for them. I've encouraged them. There are many, many born-again spiritual Christians in other parties. And there are many that are seeking. And he said, I have been given this position 
to be there, to reach out to those that are seeking and hungry to find Jesus. And he said, and I've had the honor to be able to help so many. That's why I'm here. Friends, why are you where you are? I have another testimony that I was told once, and it's a testimony that just blew my mind away when I heard it. It was a young man. He was one of the guys that was sort of going around the world, and he wanted to make a difference for Jesus, free and young and, and ready for action. And he said, God, what do you want me to do? And God told him, move into that community, and it was a Muslim community, and go and serve them. Now, most Christians would say, that's not God. And I want to tell you, every time God has, has told us or led us into something, most Christians have said, that's not God. And he moved into this community, friends, and he served the community. He served them. He had a servant heart. He had the heart after God. He served them. <coughs> and then they started building a mosque. And God said to him, help them build the mosque. Surely this is not God. And friends, he served them, he got to know them, he loved them, they learned to trust him. He built the mosque with them brick by brick and it took a long time because it's intricate. And friends, by the time the mosque was finished building, that whole community got born again and saved. And he ended up being given that mosque as a gift to plant a church. Friends, the ways of God are not our ways. And the way God sees things is not the way we see things. And why are we alive once you've met Jesus? If, you're only, if the only thing was to meet him and go to heaven, then for goodness sake, you should have died the second you got saved. But that's not why he left you here. He left you here to be a light in the dark place, to go back into your area, your community, and to change the hearts of people, friends. And this man planted a church in the very community and the very mosque that he had built for another religion. Friends, we have to get a revelation of what we've been called to do. We have to, friends. We've been called to take the light into the deepest of dark places, friends. I have another testimony that absolutely blew me away and I heard it while I was watching in bed while I was sick. This, this young Jewish woman from Israel who was very, very agnostic and very intellectual and had read so many books, but she was so disgruntled and she was so disillusioned. And she didn't know what to do with herself and she was a rebel and she got into trouble. And eventually she was led to go and join a youth group. And the youth group had an outreach into Africa. And friends, she didn't go to a youth group to be bombarded and to be told how bad she was. She knew that. She joined a youth group because the youth group was doing something and she needed a direction and a purpose. And she went with this youth group into an area, and I can't remember what part of Africa, so I don't want to lie, but it could have been Ethiopia, but I'm not sure. And she went with this youth group and there was a work that they'd started there. And she went and worked and served with the group, this community that had been established there. And friends, while she was there, she became extremely aware of one thing. That that community had a different heart. She became aware of the fact that there wasn't multiple marriages in that community. In that community, a rural African community, there was not sacrifices made. There was not any of the things that happens in other rural communities. But there was a heart for a holy God that their crops grew well, that there was an abundance within that community, that when they went to serve them, that they were more blessed by the community than the community was by them. And friends, she came back to Israel. And she said she came back into the environment that she had known where she was so unhappy. And she sat and pondered. And all she could remember, that one missionary couple, many years before, had moved into a rural community and it changed the heart and today 30 years later or whatever it is I don't can't remember that whole community looked like the kingdom of heaven and friends she fell on her knees and she said now I know that Jesus is real and there is a Messiah because nothing has changed people the way that changed people and she got radically saved and today it's part of her mission 
It's part of her mission. She's a saved, born-again, spirit-filled, powerful woman of God who got the revelation, spending time in a community whose hearts had been changed. Friends, what does your community look like? What does your office look like? Or are you looking for another job because it's too dark? We have to go. We have to be the influence. People have to see Jesus in you without you opening your mouth. If you've got to open your mouth for them to see Jesus, you've lost it, friends. Then what's going to come out of you is religion. Because you're living one way but speaking another. You have to go and let your fragrance permeate. You have to go and show a different way of living. You have to go and show concern and care when other people are weeping and brokenhearted. You have to go and care for individual people, friends. You have to go. And if you are living from home and if you see nobody except your own environment, you have a shopping center, you have a petrol station, you have people that you can connect with. And friends, every single person has a mission field. We just have to step into it. But I'm scared. Well, you could be scared. But he said, don't worry about what you're going to do. Just listen to me. But my church won't like it. Friends, he's never asked you to get permission to love on people and to care for people and to change people's lives. You've never had to get permission from anybody to do that. That is what God has told you to do. And you have to be who he's called you to be. An extension of his heartbeat wherever you are. We have to change communities. You've got to establish holy ground. We have to change that area's way of seeing things and governing friends. Life is vital. We have to release life wherever we go. You know, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is at hand when he arrived because it was within him. Friends, the kingdom of heaven is at hand because you are there and the kingdom is within you. The kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost, friends. The kingdom of heaven is in you. Jesus um, did not care how badly they treated him. He didn't care if they rejected him. He didn't care if they cursed him. He didn't care if they kicked him out of town. He didn't care. He wasn't there to fight them. He was there to save lives. And we do not overcome evil with evil friends. We do not. And every anybody that stands for overcoming evil with evil is operating under a different spirit. It's not the Holy Spirit. How do we think Paul got saved, friends? Paul, who was the, the malema of his day, the revolutionary, the one that was destroying the lives, murdering, killing, and terrorizing, did not get saved because somebody rose up against him and cursed him. He did not get saved because a whole lot of people thought they had to fight him. He got saved because the community that fled, which is part of what we have to do sometimes, prayed for him. And friends, he got radically saved. And he's changed the world with the gospel that he left in his walk and through what God left through his life on this earth. Do not come under the influence of religious and political spirits, friends. And this is the challenge that I give you today. How much have you come under it? What do you mean, Kathy? I'm not coming under it. Really? The plans of religious spirits is interfaith. That means there are many truths, not one truth. That means that we don't have to pray. That means you can live your life, you don't have to pray. That means you don't have to repent. That means that we can do whatever it takes as one heart. You know, it's, it's, it's absolutely fine. It's absolutely fine. As long as you, out, I'm very happy for what you're doing. I'm just going to do my little thing in the corner. It's fine. Friends, it's not fine. We cannot come under that influence. God is not a God of interfaith. He says, I am the way, one way. The truth, one truth, and one life. That's what he says. When interfaith or any other religion causes us to believe, we may not pray. We may not meet together. We may not have a Bible. That is a religious, political spirit. Do not come under the influence. Do not feed it. And do not come into agreement with it. Stand for truth. How do you stand? Flee when you have to. Stand when you have to. Don't speak if you don't have to speak. But do not be shaken, friends. What about political correctness? 
Well, we've got to make so sure that we're politically correct. You know, you can't say anything. You can't say anything. Friends, you've been put in a place not to be politically correct, to be kingdom correct. Friends, we cannot come into agreement with LGBTQ. That violates the kingdom of God. And it doesn't matter what the political spirits say. It is sin, it is wrong, and it violates the kingdom of God. And you cannot teach your children that it's okay for them. You've got to teach your children the truth. Now, what are we meant to do? You do not reject the force. You reach the people. If there are confused children in your midst, get your child to minister to them, to love them, to encourage them, to say nothing to them until they've won their heart, friends. And that's what Jesus did. We win the hearts to change the lives, friends. We do not say we will not and become a religious force, friends. Force doesn't conquer force. We go and change hearts and lives. But we do not <coughs> come into agreement with it. Friends, living together is a sin. <coughs> the Bible says you covenant with your partner. We cannot come under the influence of political spirits by turning a blind eye or even worse, doing it and thinking it's okay. It's not okay. You've come into agreement with the political spirit. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Friends, abortion is not okay. We do not go and burn down abortion clinics. We go and make a way to reach the hearts of those that are in the turmoil and the torment. I don't know which way to go. Excuse me. <coughs> we don't fight battles, friends. That's not the way Jesus did it. We're not revolutionaries. That's not the way Jesus did it. He changed hearts. Friends, we do not come into agreement with violence. And confusion and my greatest warning to you today we do not come under the influence of farmer the Bible warns us very clearly about farmer in river in revelations friends do not come under the influence of farmer do not come under the influence of anything that affects your soul the moment that you take medication that affects your soul friends farmer has just got a control over you do not We've got to have a sound mind, have a sound mind and alert. That's what the Bible says. We've got to know that we've got to have full control over our souls so that our spirit can be full of him and our soul is submitted to him. We cannot in any way have any dependence on that which is religious or political spirits. Since Babel, the enemy has been trying to create one world order. At Babel, he had one world order and God broke it down and scattered the people because he said where there is unity and evil, there is incredible power, friends. And ever since then, he's been trying to do it again. That means he needs one ruler over the whole earth. That means he needs one government system. That means he needs one currency. He needs one religion and he needs one control. And I want to tell you, friends, They've already established that in October 2021, they've already established Interfaith, Chris Lum, which is the established church of Interfaith, which is one religion. Right now, we think it's just something over there. Mark my words today. That is going to infiltrate and control every part of what we are doing as Christians. The second thing is they're already busy with the system of creating one currency, friends. The banks are changing over. The banks are shaking. There is a shaking happening. Why? Because they are establishing one currency. Much easier, much better, and all those good things. But at the end of the day, it's so that there is one currency all over the world. And then you will move from having a phone or, or, or a watch or a card to control your finances and you will have your identity put on your hand and your forehead. That's full control. Do not come under the influence of religious spirits and political spirits. Be awake. Watch and pray. Be sober. They need one government. 
They are desperately trying to establish the World Health Organization as the only voice for healthcare. Why? Because they've got to get it into place. One control of pharma over the nations. And friends, ultimately, they're working toward one government and one ruler, the Antichrist. We have to have our eyes wide open, friends, and know what's happening in this town. I just want to end with two scriptures, if you would please allow me. I know it's been a strong word. I told you I'm starting with the foundations, and then I'm going to bring the word that I feel God has got for us for this year. And I really want to ask you, if it's all been too much to listen once, listen again and again, and write down what God is saying to you and what's appropriate to you. And take a hold of this word and have it established in your heart. Not because I'm bringing it, but because it's the word of God for right now for the bride of Christ. Now, friends, it says in Isaiah 59, <clears throat> When the enemy shall come in like a flood, God will raise a standard against him. Friends, the standard that God is raising against the enemy's flood of evil is sons of God with hearts of righteousness, standing a standard to the world of a different system. Everything about Isaiah's prophecy in 59, 60 and 61, <clears throat> and even into 62, is about what would happen post Jesus. Because Jesus would usher in the Holy Spirit and what would happen once the Holy Spirit had been the glory had been released on the earth. It says, arise and shine for your light has come. Friends, you arise, you shine. Church of God, you arise, you shine for your glory has come. Arise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, a darkness covers the earth, a deep darkness the people. But the, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar and your daughters are carried on the seas. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. When you arise and you shine, people will be drawn to you. And your heart will be thrilled, will throb and swell with joy. That's the first thing, friends. It starts with arise. It starts with shine. It starts with releasing the glory that is within you. In Isaiah 61, we see Jesus quoted this of himself. So we know it is relevant for him, through him and for us. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me. Friends, every one of us, if we have the Holy Spirit, we're anointed. There's greater anointings and, and lesser anointings. And it depends just on how much time you spend with him. But we're all anointed. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, and to release from darkness those that are in prison. And the day of the vengeance of our Lord to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes and the oil of joy instead of mourning. Friends, you are the vengeance of God against the enemy. You are the vengeance. God's vengeance isn't to hurt, to kill, steal and destroy. His vengeance is to give you life so that you can go and ignite everybody else. He goes on to say this, <clears throat> sorry, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness, a spirit of despair and a spirit of depression. We have the powerful gift of praise that diffuses any depression. They will be called oaks of righteousness. Who? The people you minister to. The people that you bring the light to, that you minister to, the people that you bring into wholeness because they've been so broken. Every single one of us have got a deliverance ministry. Every one of us, friends, because we are meant to go to the broken and the demonized and the shattered and we're meant to help them into wholeness, friends. And they will be called the oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins. Where are the ruins, friends? They're all around us. Who's going to do that? The people you bring the gospel to are going to rebuild, friends. 
and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Aliens will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You will feed on the wealthy of the nations. And in the riches you will um, boast. Instead of shame, my people will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, they will rejoice in the inheritance. And so they will inherit a double portion in their land. And every everlasting joy will be theirs. Friends, please don't criticize the head if you've done nothing to change the heart. And I want to say this to you, wherever you are, there are broken hearts. And wherever they are, you are. We have a responsibility. So bride of Christ, children of God, sons of God, Christians, let's be who we were created to be. And let's see a new tomorrow and a new government and a change wherever we've been placed. God bless you abundantly. And until we meet again, goodbye. And I know this has been a harsh word, a strong word. But it's a word of meat for us to grow, for us to change, and for us to rearrange wherever we are. So that truly righteousness, peace, and joy can once again rule our land. Revival is within you. Go give it away. God bless you, friends.